Yo, this is George Dr. Funkenstein Clinton, and you're listening to WMNF Tampa. They do the dog, y'all. Here comes the sun. Here comes the sun. I say it's all right. Hello, and welcome to the Sustainable Living Show on WMNF Tampa 88.5, where every Monday at 11, we bring you a conversation with local experts on sustainable issues. Today, we are talking with Jim Kowalowski and Tanner Johnson from Frieder Freedom Farm in Newport Ritchie. Easy for you to say. Exactly. Your hosts today are myself, the wonderful Kenny Coogan and Annie Ellis. And the wonderful Annie Ellis. We're telling ourselves how wonderful we are. And working the phones is Irene and working the boards is Mr. Bill Grace. Both wonderful. Yes. So stay tuned as we promote a balance of people, profit, and planet. So we have a super full pack show today. Boy, and, we do. And we're going to start. I'm going to introduce this for you. You wanted to start with that? Yes, I want to start with the epic uh, chicken story. All right. On Friday, I was at my friend's house, who lives near a golf course. And we were in um, like his living room, and I said, Anthony, you have a chicken in your backyard. <laughs> and he goes, what? So we went outside, <laughs> and there was like this little poofy Polish chicken. So they have like the big poop crests on the top of their head. Uh-huh. And I was like, one of those fluffy ones. Yeah, so yeah. I was like, beautiful black and white uh, chicken. So he ran in and grabbed his wife. And these are not chicken people, by the way. I said, all right. If <laughs> they you, were frightened. Yes, I said, if you corner this chicken, I will grab it. And the chicken ran through their legs about 17 times. <laughs> it's like a Keystone Cops yeah. cartoon. <laughs> so th- they, were not, um, they were not very helpful in the proc- <laughs> procurement of this chicken. So then, I grabbed, so then I grabbed the chicken. And because I ride my bike to his house, he drove me back to my house. I put her in a cage. And then um, I... Then they drove me back, so then I had to ride my bike back. So, I, as you know, I have a lot of plant sales every weekend. So I yes. had a full day plant sale on Saturday at Rosebud Continuum, and then I had a full plant s- sale at uh, Three Daughters Brewing. So you have a lot of babysitting time. So on, exactly. So on Saturday, we kept the chicken in a cage, and I asked Kenny Gill, you know Kenny yeah, Gill? Yeah, I saw him at the, who's a friend the, of the show. event the other day. Yeah, uh-huh. and he's part of the FFA. He's an FFA advisor. He's said, great. I said, hey, do you want this extra chicken? I don't know if it's a boy or girl yet. And he says, no, I just hatched 18 chickens, so I'm, you I'm know, full. I'm full. And also, I'm kind of full, too. But I said, yeah. all right, I'll keep the chicken. So Saturday, I got home. You have a bigger space. And there was an egg in the cage that the chicken was in. So I said, okay, problem solved. The chicken's a female. And I'll keep it because it's a female. And then Sunday, I put it in um, like a really large coop, like a 20-foot by 10-foot coop locked um, the female chicken in there because I did I couldn't just release it with my chickens yet. Right, they it, had not warmed up to it. Yeah, her. and they also, the new chicken has to learn where to eat and where the food is. Sure, so it stays etiquette. There. She yeah. needs the chicken etiquette. Mm-hmm. So um, then we went to our neighbor's house. Okay, I had a plant sale all day Sunday. So I asked Ryan, I said, hey, have you checked on the chicken? And he said, yes, it was like three. I checked in on her at three o'clock. She's doing great. So then we went to our neighbor's house for dinner. And when we came back, we looked in the coop. Chicken was gone. This is like the Harry Houdini (laughs) of chickens, right? An escape artist. Oh, Also on Sunday morning, we trimmed her wings to, to keep her to, to keep, keep her. her in because we you know we have like four foot fences and once they know that they live there it's fine they can have their wings so what happened in story so chicken's gone we find a pile of feathers <gasps> in the corner of the yard and 
we've historically have had raccoons and opossums kill chickens and I thought this was going to be a happy ending. So then I had to tell the person that, uh, you know, the chicken got eaten by a raccoon. And I was very sad. So that was yesterday. Then this morning, I'm hopping in the shower at 1030 right before this show. And I get a text message from a neighbor down the road. <laughs> Do you have a chicken missing? <laughs> and, clipped wings. That's, and I go, has a fluffy head. <laughs> and I go, well, yes, I do. Is it a black and white chicken? They go, yes. <laughs> so the pile of feathers was actually from a blue jay, probably that a hawk got or something. Uh-huh. And we have procured the chicken yes, for the second job. time. Yes, good job. Good job. I was so afraid that was not going to be a happy ending. So and I'm I, glad. And another story, a chicken, like five years ago around Easter, got stuck underneath a bucket for three days. We thought it was also eaten by a raccoon. And and we just lifted the bucket three days later and the chicken was still alive. You're so funny. The Uh, chicken man. (laughs) Craig, Craig. From USF, you're on the line. Yes, we have we have uh, two people. Just wanted to let y'all know we have Botanical Gardens calling in, and we have Tarpon Springs calling in for events. So, Craig, Craig, you're in. Craig, I had to tell my chicken story. Well, it was an interesting chicken story. Then. You were riveted, weren't you? It, you know, I don't have chickens. <laughs> They're interesting animals. They are. All right. So Craig, of course, is the director of the USF Botanical Gardens. He's the maybe. How long have you been there, Greg? Like a year? Yeah. Oh, boy. No, I've got eight months now. Oh my yeah, goodness. and he is doing so much work over there. It's unbelievable how he's turning that a wildflower situation around. It's amazing, Craig. Congratulations oh, on all your hard thank work. Thank you, Annie. You're doing a good job. All right, so, Craig, you have an uh, event this weekend and next weekend you want to promote? Well, um, of course, we've been increasing the amount of events, and I think that's a great thing. Yes, Coming up this weekend, I'm excited to have you, Kenny, coming out and doing a plant and take a bog. And it seems to be really popular. You know, it's in the last couple of months. You know, we talked last time I was on your show a number of months back. I talked I was going to put in a pitcher plant bog. And we have three in the ground now, and they're doing great guns and attract a lot of attention. And your program, uh, talking about uh, bogs and being able to create your own and take it home with you is is just exciting to me. I, I know there's going to be a lot of interest, and I hope people listening right now will uh, register and sign up because we still have a few more spaces. It should be a lot of fun. So Kenny is going to teach people how to t- make a little blo- a bog for carnivorous plants and take it home with them. Exactly. And we're so it's like a terrarium sort of a situation, kind of. Yeah. And we're you know, going to be get to learn from the experts. Yeah, uh, that's awesome. And don't you have something else coming up? Register, I would appreciate it. Yes, very good. The USF plant uh, show is coming up pretty quick, isn't it? Well, I'll mention that too, since you ask, Annie. Uh-huh. Um, two weeks from now, we have our ever popular uh, plant festivals. We do one in the spring and one in the fall. And uh, we are cutting back the summer one to one day, but the spring festival's always oh. been apparently the biggest of the three. And uh, we've got over fifty vendors. I believe Kenny's one of them, and uh, probably the Rare Fruit Council. Probably we have uh, rare fruit, and we have cacti, and we have you know all Orchids. kinds of yeah. different kinds of plants. Yeah, the begonia people will be there. The yeah. You know, all kinds of different clubs representing groups of plants will be there. We have, you know, ancillary or, or whatever, people selling uh, 
pottery that they make. You know, there's things that kind of tie in with the plant side mm-hmm. of things. And um, it's always real popular. If I wanted a plant, I would come on Saturday. <laughs> so know? it's only one day this year. Okay. No, the no, spring one's two days. Oh, okay. But, but he's saying because of the popular demand. Oh, I see. Saturday is super busy and certain things, you know, I... I was slow last time in the fall to get a leafy tree, and they were all gone. Yeah, that's the thing. You really have to step up, don't you? You have to go on that first day in the morning to get here. I would get there on Saturday. Sunday, there'll be lots of stuff to do. Don't get me wrong. Right. um, If you're really looking for a super special plant from these people that have specialty nurseries, Kenny does with his carnivorous plants, Um, you know, the begonia people, et cetera, et cetera. You know, if you're looking for a really special, unusual plant, um, those kinds of people that buy that are going to be there Saturday. It's going to be real busy, I think. And Sunday will be a lot of fun, and there'll be still a lot of things left. And like I said, it, it starts at 9 or so, and uh, well, that's when our gates open, and and um, our gates close at 4 o'clock. All right. Well, thanks a lot, uh, Craig. We have uh, Robin on the other line, and then we have our actual guests on. So I guess we better roll with it. But thanks for calling in. We appreciate you. Thank you for letting me talk. (laughs) You're doing a good job. (laughs) Thank you, Craig. And then uh, for everyone, we will have in the show notes and on our Facebook page, those links for the USF. Yeah, I promise I'll do that. (laughs) All right. So now we have Robin, and she's all the way up in Turpin Springs. Hi, Robin. Hi, Kenny and Annie. Thank you for allowing me to join on this morning. You're welcome. Can you tell us your title again? Sure. I am the Sustainability Coordinator for the City of Turpin Springs. Very good. And you have some events coming up? We do. We have several events coming up. Uh, We have an ongoing sustainability lecture series called Knowledge and Nibbles. It's been going on for a couple months now. Uh, We have two more presentations scheduled. We have one coming up this Thursday, actually, April 6th at 6 p.m. We're going to have Catherine Munson from the Southwest Florida Water Management District giving a presentation on the district and water conservation. And this will take place at the Turpin Springs Heritage Museum located at 100 Beekman Lane at 6 p.m. And uh, refreshments will be provided And we will have another lecture on May 11th where I will give a presentation on Turpin Springs Sustainability Initiative. Very Um, good. Yes. So this has been a really great series. It started back in February. And um, our next event that we have coming up is an Earth Day celebration. And that will take place on Saturday, April 22nd from 10 a.m. to 1 p.m. at the Tarpon Springs Library, located at 138 East Lemon Street. Mm -hmm. Um, We're very excited about this event. We're going to have city departments attending and discussing their green initiatives. We will also have various community partners, including Peace for Tarpon, University of Florida, Isis Pinellas County Extension, the Garden Club of Tarpon Springs, Keep Pinellas Beautiful, the Southern Alliance for Clean Energy, the Grow Group. Wow. Um, Yes. That's a lot. That's a whole festival. (laughs) We will also have a DJ, a face painter, crafts, games, an inflatable slide, giveaways, and an easy ride and drive event that's being hosted by the Southern Alliance for Clean Energy. 
and food, which will be provided. Very good. So That's we will, wonderful. We will share all of that with our listeners. And thank you very much, Thanks Robin, a lot, for Robin. calling in. Yep. Thank you. Have a great day. Success on your events. All right, Annie, let's introduce Jim and Tanner. Oh, boy, you guys have been waiting for so long. So um, I wanted to let y'all know that uh, Jim Kowalowski, he's been farming since 2008, so it says. I think he's been farming longer than that, but but that's my opinion. (laughs) Uh, And he spends about half the month in Newport Ritchie and the remaining of the year in Down East Maine. So he uh, goes up there in the summer and he stays here in the winter. Uh, So he uh, does uh, a variety of of crops and there's about 60 to 70 families he provides for their vegetable supplies throughout the year. And his philosophy about farming runs very deep and his, his practices hold very true. I think those that know him know that. Uh, what's that? Oh, so somebody's talking. Y'all are on air. Oh, you can hear uh, that. Okay. Wait a hey. <laughs> so there are a few farmers pushing this kind of simplicity that Jim is advocating and practicing on the farm with little more than recycled wood chips in Florida and a scythe in Maine. He's paving the way for an entirely different kind of farmer. And we have Tanner G. Johnson, and he started farming uh, in 2017. He came into farming the way many modern folks do from without. While living in New York City, a longing for a life closer to nature came over him. Farming became the vessel to affirm an alternative way of being in the modern world, a way to earn an honest and rewarding livelihood that sat in line with his passion for the environment and humanity. They grow in the front yards, uh, two front yards. So I want to welcome you guys. I'm thrilled that you're on here, and we are going to talk about is so much stuff. And thank you for being on air with us today, Jim and Tanner. Hey. Hey, Annie. Hey, hey y'all. Thanks for having us. You're welcome. Glad you're here. So I guess what we need to just start out with a few questions. Um, so I wanted to, the people to know, uh, what's the time background of the farm? It's called Freedom Farm, y'all. And uh, how did you two guys get together? Well, I've been farming on Virginia Avenue in different locations since 2007. Okay. Um, it originally was Freedom House Farm, but I sold that um, to buy a little bigger piece of land. So now I call it Freedom Farm. And so I've been here um, probably eight years across both front yards and mm-hmm. probably 10 years at this other location down the street. Um, Tanner found me a couple of years ago. You can tell yeah. me. Yeah, I found Jim through um, his YouTube stardom. Yes, he has a star on YouTube. (laughs) And, uh, so I took his, I took his online course that, uh, our friend Pete threw together. And through that course, we started talking and I went and visited him up in Maine, um, a couple times. And, uh, I was farming down in South Florida and things were getting a little tough down there to find any kind of continuity on a piece of land just because of the price of it. And so I went to visit Jim up in Maine this last summer, and he said, well, you might be able to come uh, farm with me up in Newport Ritchie. Maybe you can buy my place. Let's do a little trial. And uh, that trial has sort of happened, and now I'm part of the farm. Here yeah, we're, we're pretty much partners now. Yeah, it's great. So, it's- Tanner, when you saw the videos of Jim, what? why were you hooked? Like, what aspect of Jim's farming and gardening practices inspired you? I think just the simplicity um, that Jim was advocating for, um, you know, the cost of, of getting into it was really low. Um, a lot of the other market gardener 
types, um, Jean-Martin Fortier and these guys, you know, they, they really promote a business model that, that requires quite a bit of startup. And for, for a young person to get into farming, it's, it's just a, a, you know, a a big bite to take off, to take off all at once. So Mm -hmm. Jim was kind of like, start small, you know, really get to know the place you're farming at. Um, it just really, Jim's philosophy, um, comes through in those videos and it leaves you stuck. That's why, that's why everyone mm-hmm. keeps watching. Those, uh, <laughs> that, uh, course is still available, uh, at, that Pete Canaris at Green Dreams, uh, provides. Uh, it's really a good course, by the way. Yeah, it's really good. And, and, you know, the, the, the startup cost of the farm, you know, a lot of these courses that these guys are promoting are $2,000 or, you know, quite a bit of money. Jim's mm-hmm. course is 200 and um, so that's really approachable for pretty much anybody. So and the, cool. the average farmer in the U.S. is between like 46 and 60 years old. So right? we need younger people to be right. more interested. That's why I grabbed on when I saw Tanner interested. You know, <laughs> yeah. He's 28, he's got a young family, and we need young farmers doing this. Yes. And we need young farmers learning about organic farming. Right, and the ways that are less uh, aggressive towards the land. Or, That's yeah, what I think. Better regenerative. Yeah, too. yeah. And so, uh, so both you guys, uh, why did you choose farming? And then specifically, what? Why did you choose organic farming? Well, I've been in um, growing plants my whole life. I right. started lawn care and did a lot of flowers and that kind of thing. But I took a permaculture design course back in 2007, and that kind of put me in the garden as a a member of a community of creatures there. And that really resonated with me. And then I saw where I could be a beneficial organism in uh, ecosystem and then also provide food for myself and my neighbors. And that is such a powerful feeling. It really mm-hmm. goes back to something deep within our, you know, cultural, I don't know, cultural history or mm-hmm. it's, it's in my psyche for sure. And it just resonated and I haven't looked back. It's really uh, the it, being a part of that circle of the community. Uh, from my observation, it's like uh, a part of instead of just you know being the provider of a product. It's not just that; it's a part and of the whole circle. And it's not just the community of humans; it's the community of creatures. Right. You know, the soil life, the birds, the bees, all the stuff that's going on. You know, they're all here and they all have a purpose and we welcome them, you know, yeah. even when they eat a little of our stuff, we care. <laughs> right. Well, they're going to move that seed to somebody else's yard and they're going to get, mm-hmm. you know, something else growing so that, you know, never know. So mm-hmm. I know that um, uh, for others that don't know, uh, how did the, how do you do your farm? You know, uh, how do you make that grow so beautifully? So we've got a really unique um thing going on here in Newport Ritchie, 20 years ago, they started a yard waste recycling program where anybody in the city limits can pile all their yard debris, palm fronds, grass clippings, leaves, and the city will pick it up every four to six weeks and take it to a central location. They'll build a huge pile so it starts to compost there, and then they'll bring a stump or a grinder in, and they grind it, and then it really starts to compost. So it gets so hot that all the weed seeds and any pathogens are killed in it. And then they will deliver it back to us. I've got a little dump truck, so I go get it when I want it. But I put, you know, over the years, I'm putting about 120 to 140 yards of that compost on, you know, a half acre of two front yards. And right now it's probably, you know, 18 inches above grade and it's all pure black goodness. Yeah, because then the microbes just rise up to be in that part. And then I, 
you do soil blocks and so on, correct? Yeah, I mean, that's one of my ways. I mean, it's not the only way, but it's something I, you know, like because there's not a lot of um, plastic waste. I just keep reusing things. But, you know, there's other ways to do it. Um, next, using those windstrip trays. Um, I think they work pretty good. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just the idea of being present with any seedling to be ready for it to go in the ground when it's time. A lot of times you'll buy things from people and they or you know, big box stores and they've been sitting there three weeks mm-hmm. past when they should have been in the ground. Yeah, and the, the stress uh, of uh, being in that for three weeks uh, has now uh, d- determined that this plant's not going to be its best plant that it can be. So you're like, uh, you guys are on top of uh, getting that in the ground as soon as it's ready to be put in the ground. When we're on top of the game, sometimes we get behind. <laughs> you know, we got a lot of people we're feeding, so I mean, right now it's kind of a yeah. We're we're working hard. It's a lot of work. What is a soil block for the listeners? No, oh, it's a um, compressed block. There's like a soil block maker, so you take a, a a mix of you know garden soil and peat, and you press out like a cookie cutter almost. These little blocks that have an indentation in them, and then you can put the seed in that, and it holds its. Um, you know, edges and stuff. So you can move it around with your fingers. Um, and there's no container that the roots hit and spin off like most pots or six packs. All right. Very good. So let's remind listeners that this is the Sustainable Living Show on WMNF Tampa 88.5. Today's guests are Jim Kovaleski and Tanner Johnson from Freedom Farm in Newport, Ritchie. If you want to be part of the conversation, give us a call at 813-239-9663. Irene would love to hear from you. Yes. <laughs> or you can send us an email at dj at wmnf.org and we will read it on air. So we have a couple of emails. The first one is from uh, Marinella in Tampa and she says, chicken roller coaster. Oh my God, I will... Just one from really sad to incredibly relieved. I'm so glad the chicken is okay, and I love your show, Kenny <laughs> and Annie. <laughs> and then we have another email, Tina in Brooksville. Hi, uh, Sustainable Living folks. Great show, and chicken stories, too. And then heart, eyes, emoji. <laughs> it's a big hit, apparently. And Kenny, we'll see you this evening at our Hernando Florida Native Plant Society meeting. Uh, lucky us. And then we have another email, and this yeah. one is for Jim and Tanner. Um, this is from Virginia. Hi, Kenny. I am Demi's friend, and I live in Gulfport, and I'm having a lubber problem. Oh. I've been told to cut them in half oh, by no. some people, or I've been told to relocate them. And so that's the statement, or what should I do with them? But my uh, add-on is that lubbers are native to Florida, yes. and they don't have a lot of natural predators. One of their natural predators is the loggerhead uh, shrike, well, which like impales them on the well, on different things, and that uh, they'll eat them. But a lot of lizards and birds avoid them because that, of their toxins. That's so, not true, actually. They are not toxic in the early stages of their living. This is a this is a story that keeps getting told and that's why everybody's so freaked out about them. The small ones are, will be eaten by the birds. They will be eaten by anything that can get them and they, they build up their toxins as they get to be mature. So the mature ones are the ones that the strikes will do that with. Sorry uh, to interrupt. Okay, so what I just read was from the UF IFAS. Right. The University of Florida. So let's ask Jim and Tanner, what do they do with the lubbers if they have lubbers? Because earlier you guys mentioned that sometimes you have pests that, you know, nibble on things. So um, Do you do anything? No. Right. <laughs> 
So, I mean, I got a good story with that because, I mean, I used to be an ornamental gardener and they love amaryllis. Oh, yeah. You know? so Any lilies. As soon as, they, as soon as they started popping up, I was growing rain lilies at the same time and they were just gnawing them down and I was stomping them all the time and just getting all stressed out. And then about four or five years ago, I said, no, nah, I just ain't going to do that. Let's see what happens. And they stopped causing much damage. It was amazing how little they caused. I mean, we had them out front here. Everybody's pointing, oh, you got to do something. They're all over a cucumber vine. Not a hole in the cucumber vine. You know, they're just hanging out. I've never seen much damage since I've started looking at it in those terms. So I think there's a, you know, an energy that goes with this whole pest mm -hmm. thing. There yes. really is no pest in a garden. Yes. They're all playing, playing a role, and we've got to determine what role they're playing and work that into our garden plan. So as soon as I stopped killing them, I stopped having them. And I, I want to say I was over there picking up my CSA the other day and uh, Tanner's daughter had picked one up and it was on her and she kept passing it around and it wasn't even struggling to get off her. And it was like her little friend. It was fantastic. And uh, so it wasn't, it was just hanging out. It really wasn't even eating. So Jim and Tanner for Virginia who lives in Gulfport and she, her ornamental and maybe vegetable garden is being eaten by like a lot of lubbers what should she do? <laughs> Nothing. <laughs> I gave my example, and you know, change your view of them, and you know, you might lose a few things, but I think you might in the long run end up with not having that problem next year. Right. That's it's hard to do. I understand, too. but I mean, it's it's the way I'd like to be in the garden. There's right. no enemies out there for me. Yeah. Uh, Virginia and my uh, mutual friend Demi, who she referenced in the text message. Uh, a couple of years ago, she had, you know, like two, 20, 30 of them in her vegetable garden. She just picked them all up, put them in a bucket, so, so and she walked over to like a pond and released them oh. because they are native. And Oh, that's nice. And so they are just, part of the food chain. She relocated them. Exactly. Well, that was nice. If you're going to do something, that's probably the better way to do it. That's for sure. And Do you have a question that you want to ask? Because you know I'm ready to go. Well, I have to read what Bubba is writing. Okay. I'm very pro-lubber. In essence, I'm a... Lumber, not a fighter. Good. <laughs> Good for you, love, Bubba. Love Thank Bubba. you, Bubba. All right, go ahead, Annie. Okay, so uh, I want to talk about a uh, couple things. Uh, the benefits of growing in urban space versus more land in rural area, and also why is farm continuity important instead of taking up a new space or constant expansion without mastering the land under your feet? So urban versus more land, mastering the land in continuity. Both of y'all can talk about that. All right. Um, growing in the urban space, there's lots of benefits for the grower. You know, we we can cycle or walk three blocks to market and move our product. Yeah. Uh, which is a huge benefit. It's also, you know, beneficial from, a, you know, gas and all that kind of thing. But from a time perspective, it's, it's extremely helpful for us. You know, I know a lot of growers driving an hour to market and that takes a lot of time you know, out of the field. And, um, that's, that's hard on you, but also just on an ed education level, you know, we, we come into contact with people, um, every day, you know, sometimes there's, there's five visitors at this farm, um, at any given time. And we, you know, they're, they're seeing something they've never seen before. A lot of the time, um, this woman, Vanessa has been popping by here all the time. Um, and she's just totally baffled. I've never seen a celery grow. I've never oh, seen, you know, that's so sweet. And, um, it's a total mind switch, you know? Mm -hmm. And, um, I think that's huge. It's huge for the kids and, you know, perhaps some kind of outreach could, 
could become part of this farm, some kind of an education mm-hmm. center. But I, but even without even without putting together programs like that, it's hugely beneficial to the community to see where their food is being grown. And it can be done in such a beautiful way. That's the other thing. It's not like it's just beautiful. It looks like a painting. Yeah, yeah I mean, I've used um, you know my ornamental plant growing history to kind of incorporate that in with the veggies yeah. and whatnot. I mean, it can be beautiful. Exactly. So, you know, the permaculture people often get the bad um, rap because they've got this weedy yard that has a bunch of food in it. But this is a pretty yard that's got a bunch of food in it. <laughs> yeah. Um, but the continuity question, so what I keep coming back to, because I keep records over the years on how much food comes out of here, not mostly by money-wise, which is pretty much relates to, you know, the amount of food that's coming out. And, mm-hmm. you know, as I've been here over the last five years, I've doubled production on the same piece of land. For four years in a row. I think wow. we'll do it again this year. And so that means this farmer here has learned a little bit more every year about his space. Instead of trying to say, oh, we need more veggies, we got to have more space. So I think I've, we just touched the edge of it, you know, because Tanner's going to be staying here during the warm season. And that's something I miss. So six months of the year, oh, yeah. this thing only had sweet potatoes and black eyed peas. So, so, you're, so you're saying that uh, you didn't expand the amount of plants or the amount of space, but your production increased that much because the, the uh, quality of the plants were so much healthier because they were happy well, in that space? No, that's not it. We're getting more plants cycled through the same amount of land oh, because okay. we're timing things well. And that's the really oh, the powerful thing about seed things. You know, the, yeah. the soil blocks, you can take one thing out that just finished producing and you can put another one in that will start producing in, you know, as little as two weeks. You know, whereas if you direct seed, you're looking at, you know, 30, 60, 90 days. All right. So yeah, it's, it's more plants and, and more clever ways of planting them together, the interplanting Yeah, thing, like which isn't go ahead. not necessarily for like, you know, a lot of people talk about interplanting as a beneficial to an insect or to a, like a know, companion but, planting. But yeah. yeah, but that's not really what it is. It's just like this plant will grow within this time span. We'll be able to pull this out before this broccoli gets really big and shades this out. Um, that whole thing. And then you'll have ones that you want to be little shaded before they get to a certain uh, height. So then that works out. That's wonderful. Yeah, yeah. which is uh, there's such a puzzle that can be played continually every year. It's changing up. So I mean, I get new ideas every day, and yeah. usually when I'm doing these really repetitive tasks, oh, you know, and everybody's right. always into this, got to get her done fast with the machine, you know. And I'm all, you know, the 15th trip with a wheelbarrow, and I have that aha moment. Yeah, <laughs> it changes the game. You know, it changed the whole game on you know a new crop. It's meditative. And that you just can't pay for that yeah so it's april 3rd can you tell us what you are harvesting now and what plants you're going to be putting in this month uh what are we harvesting now we're still harvesting quite a bit of winter veg um but all of that was planted you know january you know we're still harvesting side shoots off broccolis and we're harvesting carrots that were sown 70 days ago even a cauliflower um, i got a cauliflower the other day yeah, yeah, cauliflower, you know, carrots, broccoli, um, celery, uh, all, yeah, onions. It's just all, that's all coming in. But now we also, in January, I added the greenhouse this year to our um, farm. It's a really small, it's 14 by 50. But that allowed us to get things going, you know, January 11th. 
Whereas, you know, you'll have the frost and I usually just don't even bother because, you know, you can't put them out until, you know, after February, you know, but this way we had big plants that were ready to go out when that last chance of frost was by. Plus we had some in the greenhouse growing. So we're harvesting big tomatoes, cucumbers for the last three or four weeks. Um, peppers are coming on. Um, yeah, we're, I'm excited about this whole warm season edge. We had the first okra the other day. and Yeah, so in January, you know, we got this greenhouse going and we got all our warm season stuff going a long time ago. So as soon as that last frost came, so we were this able is to put just, them all into the field. This is just a whole new venture because there was never uh, anything but sweet potatoes uh, in the ground uh, during the summer. So this is all Yeah, right. so we're going to – Jim Jim would have been kind of packing it in right about now. Oh, Yeah. And so I'll be here trying to push it as long as I can. We'll see. We'll see what that looks like. We really don't know. Uh, we got another greenhouse, so we got new ideas of that too. So I'm gonna try some stuff. I'll I'll spring on people later, but I got some ideas. <laughs> well, and and the uh, the thing about you know what you guys have going now too is that uh, you. The pros and cons of having the small farm, you really need to have that much space for it to be viable. Correct. Yeah. I mean, I think, you know, the, the farm would change a lot. Our income stream would change a lot without um, the whole of what this of, of what our what this land is. Yeah, it's about a half acre of production um, as it stands. And I think if we were to go lower, it, it would hurt us. So you want to talk about that? That house? Yeah, I can talk about that a little. So, I mean, I've been farming the next door house that my brother had bought from my mom 15 years ago or my mom to live in as a snowbird from Minnesota, and she just passed on this last September. So he has no reason to keep it, so he's selling it. Um, and, you know, with the real estate prices, how they are, um, it's really hard to justify making enough money, you know, on a $350,000 house and a lot. So we had the idea of having a crowdfunding to hopefully bring that cost down for us as farmers. And then my brother's also reduced the um, selling price on oh, it drives down to two hundred ninety thousand. So we started crowdfunding, and we've had really good response. I mean, it's not coming up with the the full amount yet. I I doubt it will. Soon we'll have to pull the plug on that. But the more people donate, the the easier it is going to be for us to um, keep farming this. And yeah. So that there's a yeah there's a so there's a GoFundMe um, Pete Canaris on the Green Dreams YouTube channel. There's a couple videos regarding the GoFundMe, and you can find the link there if you are interested in helping us um, in that way. And uh, the importance of keeping the continuity, uh, you know, people say, oh, why don't you just move and get some more land somewhere else? So what's that about? Well, the whole thing we were talking about is I know this land so well, it's mm -hmm. producing so much more food because I know it well. So I'd start that whole process over, which would be all right. But, I mean, it would be a big loss to the community because we wouldn't be able to supply the same amount of food. Um, and then the fact that, you know, Tanner is inheriting all this, um, you know, wisdom that's built on this land and he can carry it forward, you know, mm -hmm. instead of starting over. I mean, that's kind of the... You know, the way of the Midwest, you know, the, you know, pioneers, you know, spread West, just, you know, sell your land and keep moving, you know, and I'd rather see us hold on to it and continue to farm it. Well, that's what the example we need to set for the rest of the world. Yeah, because they moved on because they depleted the soil. And so what awesome. you guys are doing is encouraging the soil to benefit. Yes. 
Yeah. So one thing that's on a lot of gardeners and farmers' minds is irrigation right now because mm-hmm. I was in Pinellas and uh, the so the bad. vendor next to me said they haven't had rain in 13 weeks and I said Tampa's about the same. Yeah. So because, Jim, you were mentioning how you know the land so well, maybe we can ask Tanner or you, um, what is your, how do, how do you irrigate and have you changed it since you started uh, this Yeah, land? I'll go to that. So believe it or not, over the... So the garbage trucks coming through, you can see we're in the city. Um, <laughs> but we, I've been watering by hand until two years ago, all half acre. And I really talked a lot about how that really connected me to the garden because I could, some things need more water, some things need less. But it, you know, some of these weeks when, you know, we don't have any rain for six, eight weeks, it got to be, you know, 12 hours a week of water. Yeah, it's exhausting. And that's a lot. Yeah. So I went ahead and um, two years ago, I put some wobbler sprinklers in and I have a well, which um, they do really well. I'm amazed. They actually do as good a job as I was doing. And it's kind of interesting because my well is saltwater intruded. I haven't done a test to see how much, but it's definitely salty. And some of the crops, when I started using the well water instead of the city water, I used to filter the city water. Um they started doing a lot better. All the chenopodiums, you know, that family, the, the uh, spinach, the chard. That chard, chard the is delicious. It's already so salty. Yeah, it's amazing how yeah. all the brassicas love it. There are certain things that don't do so well with it, so we might have to tweak that a little um, with some drip irrigation, with some city water. But right now I'm just embracing, you know, the free, all it is is electricity. That those tomatoes that you grew that one year were like they were already salted. They were amazing. And the, well, there's more coming. Get ready. And the stems on those ones that you have are doing well, so they must be all right with the salt. Right. Tomatoes are loving it. Yeah, um, yeah, a lot of things are loving it. Kenny. So let's uh, invite the listeners to give us a call because I want to know if any listeners have some gardening, vegetable gardening, front yard gardening questions. This is the Sustainable Living Show on WMNF, Tampa, 88.5. Today's guests are Jim Kowalowski and Tanner Johnson from Freedom Farm in Newport Ritchie. Give us a call at 813-239-9663 if you want to be part of the conversation, or you can send us an email at dj at wmnf.org, and we will read it on air. So, uh, Jim and Tanner, can you talk about how farming has impacted your life, but maybe... Like physically, mentally, oh, yeah. sustainability. That, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's hard. Um, do, do you guys feel healthier working, working, <laughs> yeah. working in the front yard every day? Are you yeah, eat, are, think, do you eat differently because you're growing all this food? I think me and Jim were both, you know, laborers prior to farming. <laughs> um, so, the, you know, the, the hard work lends, we, we're, we're into, the, into the work. Um, but philosophically, it's just like, it just runs deep, you know, it's a, it's a work practice, you know, and, um, that's different than what a lot of people, how a lot of people are working in the world. Um, and that was sort of how I came to it, you know, it was like, well, I'm, I was, you know, working as doing whatever I was doing prior to farming and it just felt so, um, you know, empty and, uh, the, the farming was a way to just like, wow, like I can really put my hands in the ground and feed people. It just is about as grounding as it gets. So the work just feels extremely important. And um, sometimes that's hard to keep in mind when you're like, 
working your ass off, but for the most part, it's... You know, I, I just love what I do, so like I say, I'm, most of the time, I'm just grooving on it, even, you know, I'm sometimes waking up at 3.30 in the morning with a headlight and starting to harvest. Because you're excited, um, huh? Yeah, most of the time, I am excited. Yeah. You see a lot of interesting things that time of the... Um, Morning. Jim is Jim is so excited. Jim Jim <laughs> does this. Uh, you know, I'm usually in the. I'm usually washing. Um, he's up or a little earlier than me, and then I'm out washing what he's already harvested. And he comes in with these two totes full, and he's always pretending he's Santa Claus. He has this thing where he says, "Oh, oh, oh!" Pretty much every day. And you're he easing says, oh, into oh, it. Oh, you're easing into <laughs> it. Get some land, man. You can't yeah. get any better. Than you that. Know, Kenny asked a thing about, uh, do you, "Are you eating the thing?" And I just wanted to say what a great cook uh, Tanner's wife is. So you want to elaborate yeah, a little we, bit on that? We, we eat extremely good around here. Um, we eat lots of vegetables. We also eat lots of meat, which we source from um, usually my brother. He runs a farm in Grove, and so we buy oh. beef from him. Um, but, yeah, we, we eat a lot of veg around here. We roast a lot of veg. And, uh, you know, every we, we haven't bought any vegetables in a very long time, at least not since the beginning of the season. So. Yeah. Yeah. I get my vegetables from you guys nearly every week, and I just yeah. love it. And in fact, uh, uh, my neighbors are now starting to get it, and they're really great cooks. And so they, uh, it's interesting because these are things that they wouldn't normally buy in a grocery store. So they're like looking up different interesting recipes for things. It's pretty cool. Yes, and the thing about the food that comes from really uh, well tended ground, it's amazingly much more flavorful. Oh yeah, That's, chefs should pull in here, and once they taste it, they go, "Oh, this ain't like nothing we've had." Oh, yeah, you know? it's real um, stuff. It's just because <laughs> organic has lost its real meaning. You know, organic yeah. currently is what you don't do to the land. You don't pesticide. You don't use inorganic for you know fertilizers. Really, what organic is is what you do to the land so that you don't have to use any of that stuff and the plants respond to that yeah. um it's amazing the nutrient density in our plants you know they last i've you know thrown a bok choy on the ground that i was gonna take to wash and two weeks later it's still alive sitting on the ground in the sun mm. i mean it's, it's incredible yeah. yeah all right i think we have a question on line one and we have sub from uh bradington hello welcome to the show hi Hi, how you doing? Good. I on the last thing you said that what is the difference between fast food and gourmet? The freshness of the ingredients, the order in which it's combined, and uh, the salt, the salt, the fat, and the acid. But um, why do you focus on having a farm instead of a, a food forest here in the semi-tropic, tropic Florida. You know, it's so, as a permaculturalist, I would think our ideal is to have in a, a, you know, a food forest in the long run instead of a, a polyculture farm. All right, so and that's, uh, yeah, let's hear from uh, Jim and Tanner. So how do you feel about I'm gonna, that? I'm going to let Jim answer that. Well, you know, I've... Um, you know, I came into this all with a permaculture intro, you know, but over the years, I've seen where the food forests aren't that productive. The Bill Mollison model where you plant a bunch of stuff and then you sit in your hammock and eat food is not a reality. I've seen it again and again and again. And these annual crops produce hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of pounds of fruit within, you know, 90 days. Mm -hmm. I mean, it takes work. 
but it's feeding a lot of people mm-hmm. um, out of a small amount of land. Um, so that's what I mean. And we've got some backup with, you know, you know, fruit trees and that kind of thing in our neighborhood, you yeah. know, glean, mulberries and that kind of thing. But that's real quick the, season. That The power of an annual plant is way under... Um, appreciated by the permaculture community. That's, you right. know, Pete's coming around and he hired a market gardener because he saw that. Right. You know, Pete can with green dreams um, because he saw that you get that freeze and suddenly you ain't going to have no fruit for three years. Yeah, especially up here, you know, you get you get that freeze, the bananas are set back. You know, if you're planting certain varieties of bananas, you're never going to get a rack of bananas in this zone. Um, you know, I don't know. You know, the... <laughs> I I came into this through a permaculture lens too, and I was like, "Oh, annuals are bad." And it's like, I mean, the proof is here that the soil's being built. We're benefiting this place. You yes, know, they're annuals. I um, noticed something too is from you guys is that you are producing product that people want. Well, and that's exactly what I was thinking. Really? It's going to be hard to go to the market with bunches of moringa yeah Yeah, there's a lot of people are not going to eat that but so what you're producing is uh it's not actually real recognizable it is a little bit different but it's recognizable enough that the general public is going to introduce themselves into that and then that will uh, be a gateway for them to go into a deeper dive of uh maybe on the permaculture era and the other thing about just being a food plot you know, most people in our current culture are not willing to do the work it takes to do this. Yes. So, like anything else, if you can get people that are really good at something, then they can do it for the other people. So, right. we just need Newport Richie. We need about 40 more like us, and we can feed this whole town, put Publix out of business. All right. Very good. Thank you, Sev. Uh, for, for bringing up that. Yeah, for calling in. And we have a couple of emails. One is from... Uh, Jeannie in Sarasota, she has a picture of something, and she says, are these really mustard greens? They taste like spicy mustard greens, and I would say that in, the, like it it, to me. in that field or in that uh, genera, there's yeah. so many variants of varieties, yeah. cultivars. So if it tastes like mustard and it was labeled as mustard, it probably is mustard. <laughs> it looks like it from the and, I'm seeing. Um, looks like it's bolted, though, so it's probably a little bitter. That's by yeah, maybe making it even more spicy. Yeah. So Jim and Tanner, they she also asks, how do you know when celery is ready to harvest? You know, celery is a pretty new crop for me. It's done really well with the salt water, too. But what I usually do is I let it get fairly large, you know, probably... 20 good sized stems and then i just start breaking off like every time we go to market i'll break off like two off each plant we probably got 80 out there so i'll just break off the outside leaves i don't harvest the whole plant until we're ready to turn that over to some other crop so we'll Mm -hmm. we'll probably be doing that well we don't know because we've never done it this late into the year but probably for another four weeks and then we'll cut it and sell it as one piece and then we'll replant that with something with warmer weather. I think that's a good point to bring up that what you just said is that you don't just go in there and cut the whole head of lettuce off. You go or in or kale or, or collard or greens. Or, yeah, yeah, exactly. You go in and harvest from that plant until it's ready to turn it over. So they last for a very long time. Yeah, we're still harvesting kale that was sown in October. Yeah. And then uh, Jeannie adds, think 
Peaks, and we love Pete Canaris's YouTube videos. Yeah, they are great. And then we have a we have a couple messages about Lubbers because you know people oh people are familiar They're very with passionate it. Passionate about it too. <laughs> so CP in Palmetto, Florida says, "I hear what you're saying, but he kills them. It's a war. Lubbers, me and my plants." And then another person, uh, Lonnie, says, "Thank you for the positive feedback as they eat and move on." I tell to tell my neighbors that they won't hurt anything and they need to eat too. Yeah. That's a good yeah, I mean, philosophy. you know, I'm I'm here listening to Jim and this philosophy on the lovers, and I'm I'm seeing that the lovers aren't really too big of an issue. Mm-hmm. But when I, you know, when I was in South Florida farming, we dealt with the ultimate pest, which is a iguana. Oh right, and they <laughs> invasive are pest, not invasive and, yeah. and really um, a bit of a problem. So I was out there shooting them. You know, I I had to have killed hundreds last season so wow that's um, a lot you know yeah it was but it's really, an invasive really, species whereas the lover it is an invasive native. species which changes things a little bit it does but um you know if there's certain things that you just you know jim's jim hires his stepson to to get a uh to get a wreck or a um porcupine up in uh Yep, the there's some things you can't live with. Yep, I have <laughs> right. to agree. Porcupines, yeah, they're pretty tough. <laughs> I would want to be cornering one of those, that's for sure. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, Zephyr's pretty good, though. We have uh, maybe five minutes left. Could you guys talk about if people want to start a front yard or backyard garden, where where would some good resources be to procure the actual seedlings or the plants? Because, you know, I, every weekend I'm at a plant sale or two plant sales, and I see a lot of vendors selling things that I'm thinking, like, uh, this should have been in the ground about five months ago. Right. Kind of like you were saying, like, this tomato yeah. is already that, three feet tall and it's going to be too hot. Pretty round up around it yeah. like a circle. So, yeah. like, how do you know what crops to put in? What are some resources? Where do you get the plants from? You know, I start all my own plants and you get to watch that magic happen all the time. And over, you know, 15 years, you get to know timing on when you need to do things. So, you know, the university puts out a lot of good stuff. Um, if you go to them as far as what's to, you know, grow for each month, I think there's a guy called Grower Jim that does something online that's, yeah, you know, pretty good. good about, you know, what possible is. And, you know, the best thing is to get seeds. That's the most you know, economical thing you can do is buy seeds. Everybody, you know, starts complaining about these $7 packets of seeds. And, you know, that might have, you know, 800 heads of lettuce in it for $7 instead right. of two ninety nine. And I think it's way undervalued. So, you know, get your own seeds and, you know, kind of follow the calendar. Yeah. I have my uh, pantry filled with, you know, 100, 200 seed packs and my freezer drawers also filled with all these seed packs. I'm like, wow, my bank is really rich. Yeah. I have a lot of stuff going on. All right, Tanner yeah. and Jim, we have one last question for you. And this is from Chris and Joni from Sweetwater Organic oh, Farm. I love them. And they say, do you know what happened to the South Tampa farm? It is permanently closed. How do we create a community land trust to preserve these sacred spaces around Tampa Bay? Thank you to all the local growers. And thank you, Jim and Tanner. I know what happened to that farm. Well, let's, let's well, talk I mean, about how do we create a community... <laughs> What? Yeah, go ahead. No, go ahead, Jim. Well, you know, that what me and Tanner are trying to work on is, a, you know, a continuity between private individuals that continue to farm. A lot yeah. of times when you put a board of directors in charge of something, it's not farmers making decisions. And that's the big deal why we want to do this, you know, GoFundMe so we can keep it in uh, a farmer's hands right, instead of people. going into a land trust. Yeah, two people instead of a board of directors. 
So your answer to how do we create a community land trust to preserve the sacred spaces is kind of don't think like corporation oh. <laughs> or board, just have individuals mm-hmm. promoting yeah. their yards. That's my opinion, but that, that's, you know, everybody's got different look at it. Yeah, I mean, you got to you gotta create trust and that takes, it takes time and uh, it's it's really not easy and it's not, it's definitely not an easy thing to answer. And it's not an easy job to do. But It's I'm really definitely glad. not an easy job to do, but I do think that it, you know, the farmer knows what to do on the land, but we're not, we don't exactly have all that much time to be thinking about this. So we, you know, we, we do need help. I don't know if it's in the form of a board of directors, but it's in the form of somebody coming along and saying, hey. Well, we need to get the tip jar filled for you guys, for sure, for saving the farm. Uh, so we'll have some link on our uh, on our site, and I'll put it on my personal one, and maybe people can share it when they see it in these different groups. They can share it, and uh, we can get more donations, because even a small donation helps. I think that where you are at now with that GoFunding has been a lot of small donations, but if we could get a big one, that'd be awesome. Well, the small ones add up. It's amazing. And there's, you know, 500 already, so that's pretty awesome. Yeah, that's great. Well, thank you guys so much for being on here. We really, really appreciate you being here. Uh, You're welcome. You're the greatest. And do you have a website or social media that listeners can go and visit? Not really. Tanner might tell you something. I got an Instagram, (laughs) Tanner G. Johnson, if you want to, you know, see, you know, you see stuff on the farm there. They can do and Facebook. There's, there's Facebook. Yeah. And then, you know, Pete Pete comes here, the green the you know, the Green Dreams channel. Pete comes here pretty much monthly and does yeah. a follow-up. And video, Justin so. does a, a an occasional uh visit and such too. So. Yeah, he's popped in a couple times. Who's, yeah. who's Justin, Annie? Justin Rhodes guy. He does a videos, he's been doing videos forever on this a long time. But. Great guy. Well look, we need to sign it out. So uh, thanks again, guys. We'll see you soon. Thank you, Bye-bye. Pleasure. Thank you very much. If you enjoyed the show and our weekly content, please go to WMNF.org, donating through the tip jar and directing your donation to the Sustainable Living Show. Stay tuned in the next hour and you'll hear WMNF Tampa's Monday Music with Flea. If you want to hear more public interest programming, switch over to WMNF's HD3 channel, The Source, and listen to today's Tom Hartman Show Live. Make sure to tune in next Monday morning at 11 for the next Sustainable Living Show. Follow our Facebook page, Sustainable Living, WNF. To stay in the loop and also just go to Just Listen On Demand on WMNF.org to listen to our past shows. Yeah, we have two great ladies coming on next week, uh, 813, The Hood Garden, and uh, another lady that's going to be on about all different herbs and um, spices and such. It's going to be a great show. So y'all tune in. Very good. I'm Kenny Coogan. And I'm Annie Ellis. And remember, if you're looking for someone to save the world, look in the mirror. You are listening to WMNF Tampa 88.5. Bye-bye. It seems